Thank you, Pastor Dave and children. That was excellent. We are emphasizing this morning that Christmas is a time to rejoice. A time to rejoice. We should rejoice in what God is doing in our lives individually at Christmas, and we rejoice in the much larger picture of what God is doing in the lives of many at Christmas. As Pastor Brandt was emphasizing, the announcement of John the Baptist's birth is important at many different levels. There are three specific snapshots or pictures that are given to us of John the Baptist's birth. First, there's the snapshot of Elizabeth and Zechariah, as Pastor Brandt held that picture up to you. Then there's the picture of the family and friends and what John the Baptist's birth means for them, especially in terms of Mary and how Elizabeth's being able to have a baby, even when she was barren, helps Mary understand even the miraculous nature of the birth that she is going to be able to uh, produce by the power and grace of God. There's the work that God does in the friends. And then there's a picture of what God is doing in terms of the nation of Israel at that time and ultimately the whole world. So then, there is reason for rejoicing at the birth of John the Baptist. Our key verse this morning is Luke chapter 1, verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. So this morning we are looking at the causes to rejoice at the birth of John the Baptist and lessons from it. First, the reason for Elizabeth and Zechariah's individual rejoicing was that her disgrace was removed from the birth of John the Baptist. Her disgrace was removed from the birth of John the Baptist. There would have been a lot of different reasons for Elizabeth and Zechariah to rejoice at John's birth. Elizabeth had been barren. Thus, unable to have children, that's given to us in verse 7. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. And there was little prospect of her ever having children. That is why Zechariah doubted when the angel told him that Elizabeth would in fact have birth. Uh, Luke 1.13, the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son and you should call his name John. Verse 18. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I'm an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. They had given up hope that they would ever have a child. To not have children was a real stigma in society at that time. It was viewed as a sign of God's disapproval. 
It was thought that if one were, was, uh, if one were blessed by God, that they then would be fruitful and multiply and have a large family. If God was withholding his blessing, it was because of some judgment that he was rendering upon the individual. And thus, not to have children was viewed as being under the judgment of God. However, nothing could have been farther from the truth as evidenced in our text. For verse 6 says that they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. It is because of that theological framework that in verse 7, it begins with the word but. But they had no child. It's a conjunction that emphasizes the difference. They were righteous, but even though they were righteous, they had no child. With the birth of John the Baptist, Elizabeth's disgrace would be removed. His birth would be viewed as vindication of God's blessing upon Elizabeth and Zechariah. Notice Luke 1.24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, verse 25, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. To take away my reproach among people. No longer would she be disgraced. Now she would have joy because she was having a child. She would have joy because she was having a son and could care for him and nurture him. She had many reasons to rejoice. But this morning, I'm looking specifically at this statement that the cause for her reproach would be removed. Especially because she was having this child in old age. Especially since she had been barren. She was now moving from a place of disgrace to a place of high honor. All in one swell swoop. By having this child, people's view of her changes dramatically. Before the child, they look at her as being under the judgment of God, even though she was righteous and blameless and holy. That's not how she was viewed. But now, because she was having a child, and not just a child, but a child in which she is now evidently well past her childbearing years, that put her in a different group. That now put her among the elite of the Old Testament. Now she's associated with peoples like Sarah, who gave birth to Isaac, to Hannah, who gave birth to Samuel, and Manoah, uh, uh, who gave birth to Samson. Now she is numbered with those great women who God greatly blessed and used. 
So now, people rejoiced with Elizabeth for all that God had done for her. Notice verses 57 and 58. 58. Luke 1, 57 and 58. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she brought forth a son. And her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy toward her, and they were rejoicing with her. A cause of rejoicing. Many will rejoice at his birth. They were happy for Elizabeth and for Zechariah. My application this morning is, as we think about Christmas, as we think about the gift that is given to us of the Lord Jesus Christ, that the word that I want to focus on for Advent is rejoicing. Each week, we're going to be talking about rejoicing for a slightly different reason. And like Elizabeth, we have reason to rejoice that our disgrace has been removed. That there has been a great benefit for us personally. With the gift of Jesus Christ, we have a Savior. And there are many blessings associated with knowing Jesus Christ as our Savior. But this morning, I focus on just one. And that is that the stigma and reproach of our sin is removed. Unlike Elizabeth, our reproach or stigma is well-deserved. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, I'm looking at verse 21. Colossians 1, 21 and 22. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, I'm in Colossians 1, 21, you who once were alienated Hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless, and now these words, and above reproach before him. Elizabeth said, with the birth of John the Baptist, her reproach had been removed. Through Christ's death, And resurrection, our reproach is removed. Uh, The stigma that is associated with our sin has been taken away. We are totally forgiven. The word that is used in the text of Colossians is reconciled, meaning that we're brought in a right relationship with God. God looks upon us no longer as a sinner. He looks upon us as a saint. He looks upon us as a child of God. He looks upon us as holy because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only has our stigma been removed before God, but our stigma has been removed before men as well. 
Our testimonies are different this morning. They are varied. We have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior at different times in our lives, some as small children, some as older children, some as teens, some as adults. We all have different histories. We were all sinners. We have that in common. The manifestation of that sin is different. The degree of that sin is different. The length of that sin is different. But this morning, we all share the same testimony of the fact that our sins are forgiven. And we are different people. And we can look at one another in the eye and not be ashamed. Not be ashamed of our past. We don't want to glory in our past. We don't want to glorify our sinfulness. But we can talk about it without shame. Without reproach. Without guilt. This is what I once was. But now this is who I am by the grace of God. Our reproach has been removed. Not only can we look at each other in the eye, but we can look at the mirror. And we can look at ourselves in the mirror and recognize our past has been removed. Nothing to be ashamed of. And most remarkably, we're going to be able to stand in the presence of God at the judgment seat of the Lord Jesus Christ and not be ashamed because he bore the stigma of our shame. He hung on the cross. He bore our iniquity. That's cause for rejoicing this morning. But not only was there cause to rejoice for Mary and, excuse me, for Elizabeth and Zechariah, but there was a cause to rejoice corporately. It wasn't just Elizabeth and Zechariah that would rejoice, nor was it simply the neighbors and friends of Elizabeth who were to be happy at her good fortune. There would be myriads of people rejoicing. So back to our text, Luke chapter 1, verse 14. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. They would rejoice at John's birth for far different reasons than Elizabeth and Zechariah would. Many would rejoice because John would be a godly prophet, Luke 1, 15. For he will be great, before the Lord. He will conduct himself in a manner above reproach. Verse 15. He must not drink wine or strong drink. He will have a unique relationship to God that is evident from the very time of his birth. Verse 15. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. He will be 
godly. John would have a great ministry. John would bring about a great spiritual renewal. Verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He is going to be an instrument of God's grace. Many will be saved as a result of the ministry of John the Baptist. Crowds, myriads of people will flock to him. His ministry is compared to that of Elijah. Verse 17. He will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. The phrase spirit and power of Elijah denotes that the character and power of John's ministry are parallel to Elijah's ministry. The comparison, instead of being a total equation between the two ministries, focuses on John's powerful message. Elijah's ministry involved the miraculous, a powerful demonstration of God as he called down fire from heaven. John the Baptist is not going to perform a single miracle. And yet, it equates these two ministries, both being powerful ministries, powerful in that they turn a people to God. The power that is displayed is given to us in verse 17, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. A message of repentance. Because people come to faith, their lives are going to be transformed in very practical ways. Father, the hearts of fathers are going to be turned to their children. They're going to care and love and provide for their children in ways that they hadn't previously because they're going to see their responsibility and they are going to experience the provision and power and grace of God. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior this morning, it's a cause for you to rejoice. Your sins are forgiven. The stigma has been removed. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, it's a cause for your family to rejoice. We can sit back. You know, if, if, if you had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home. You have reason to rejoice this morning. What a blessing to have a mom and dad who know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you don't have that background, if that's not your testimony, if your parents don't know the Lord, then you understand even better what a joy it is that your children are being brought up in a home where Christ's name is loved and adored. There is reason for families to rejoice. There are reasons for friends and neighbors to rejoice. But he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children disobedient to the wisdom of the just. 
meaning that people are going to now hear the word of God, obey the word of God. And then thirdly, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. He will be God's instrument to pave the way for many to believe in Jesus. People that didn't know about his birth. People who didn't know about Zechariah or Elizabeth. But people that are rejoicing simply because they hear the gospel. They believe in Jesus Christ. And their sins are forgiven. Each week, we are going to be focusing on the individual small picture and the big picture. I appreciate Pastor Dave's hard work in putting together that visual presentation for us of the small picture, zooming out to the larger picture, to the larger picture, to the larger picture, and then ultimately to the nativity. For it helps us understand what God is doing in each of our lives. God saves us as individuals. And there is cause to rejoice that he has saved me. That he has saved you. And you can look at all the personal benefits that you enjoy because of your salvation. And rejoice in them. And then you can look at your family. And the reasons to rejoice and to give thanks. Because God has saved you and the impact that it brings to your family. And then you can look at your workplace. And you can work at, look at your community. And you can look around this morning at the couple hundred people who are gathered here this morning and rejoice in what God is doing in each other's lives and what God is doing corporately in us and through us. God has a big picture. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast, for we are his workmanship, creating Christ Jesus unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. God had a purpose in saving us. God has a purpose in uniting us. And that purpose extends from this point, from this time, to points in our community, to points beyond our community, as we think of such people going out from our midst as Tim and Tori, planting churches and now planting still another church, to other states 
as we think of Kyle and Jenny, as they are ministering, to literally around the world, as we think of this morning, Bruce and Amber, as they are ministering in Africa, touching the lives of people that are so far and so distant away. And then we can look at all of our families and see how God is using each of us to reach still others with the gospel, with the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is at work in building his church, in redeeming the world, in making all things new. The coming of Christ is a cause of rejoicing. He saved you. He saved me. He saved us. And he's saving others. Next time you see any Christmas picture, nativity, the angelic hosts, even a Christmas tree, imagine View the smaller pictures right down to yourself. And then zoom out and see the family, the community, the church, the United States, the world. God had a plan. John the Baptist was an integral part of that plan. And this morning, you and I are an integral part of that plan. It was all designed before the foundation of the world. And it's a cause to rejoice.